Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. I'm here with my co-host, Bill Quinn. Welcome, Bill. Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, busy week, as always. So the we are brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. Please sign up for our newsletters uh, we, and also cdm.press. We send out a nightly newsletter. Sign up for the Rumble channel, CDM1. Sign up for the podcast with the Georgia show. If you can't watch it today, uh, it's out on podcast, usually within a couple hours after the show's over. And uh, you can catch it on the way to work or whatever. And all the old shows are there, too. So it's we're up to approaching 100 shows. We're going to have our uh, centennial here soon, Bill. And uh, maybe we'll have a, a special edition or something. So <laughs> um, with that, uh, wow, the markets are going crazy. Equities are plummeting. Bitcoin is rallying. Gold is rallying. Bonds are getting crushed. What does the future hold uh, for the markets? Uh, this is a point where... You really have a transition possibly out of the fiat system we've had for a long time. Where do you go? Do you go to, to crypto? Do you go to land? What what do you do? So we have somebody who can answer those questions for you. And I'm going to run a quick ad by our financial analyst, David Cross. I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big proud American Eagle logo. So, as always, we're going to have an interesting show today. We have Debbie Dooley, who's going to go through a host of issues. I'll let Bill work on that when she comes on. We have a, an Israeli update. We are uh, CDM is very uh, represented across the world in these hotspots. You know, I was on the ground in Ukraine during the invasion with daily reports. I've been to Gaza, Sderot. I was rocketed. We've got reporters throughout the region. So we're going to bring you a direct uh a link with Niv Kaplan, who is a former IDF special operator and defense contractor in Tel Aviv, and he's going to give us an update on the ground. So we're going to the location as we always do at CDM. Uh, Bill, let's bring in our first guest. All right. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be on the show, always. How so are you I, guys? We're well, we're well. I, I neglected to properly introduce you. So you are one of the co-founders of the Tea Party Movement and president of the America First Tea Party, if, if I recall correctly. Is that correct? That is correct. Right. I am one of the national co-founders. There were 22 of us that co-founded the Tea Party movement in 2009, and I was one of the 22. Must have been a time, huh? It was. I tell you, it, it was. But I will say one thing in comparison to the way things are now, the anger level that I'm seeing now uh, of people that are just upset at their elected officials is probably five times more anger mm -hmm. than we saw during the founding of the two party movement. Yeah. Well, that, that spawns a pretty good question too. Is that because people are more aware? Do you think? I, I think the two party movement, this is the way I tell folks, the two party movement got folks off their couch it woke them up and then Donald Trump came along and it inspired them to take action. 
to, you know, I think their motto has become when it, in regard to elected officials, if you can't make them uh, see the light, make them feel the political heat. Mm. Uh, people are angry and they're not going to take it anymore. They're, they're fed up. And I, I think it's good that they're angry like this because look what happened with the Speaker of the House. Yeah. Well, that's true. The perfect segue into one of one of one of our questions. So, t- tell us your feelings on the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, if you can. I think he's very good. Um, I supported him, and, and all honesty, I think he will be better than uh, you know what Jim Jordan would have been. And I supported mm-hmm. Jim Jordan all the way. I I think Mike has a history. He has a closeness with Donald Trump. Uh, he's a Trump ally. He's very much a Christian conservative. He is someone that was actually one of the, uh, during Trump's impeachment, he represented Donald Trump in his impeachment trial in the House. Uh, uh, represented now Speaker Johnson. Uh, he was one of the congressmen that actually signed an affidavit and, and a petition to stop Congress from certifying the 2020 election. He, he is a dream for conservatives. Uh, this is probably one of the most conservative Speaker of the House that we have ever had in this nation. He's from my home state. I'm originally mm-hmm. from Louisiana. And uh, I mean, he's, I'm, I'm proud of the fact he's from my home state. So yeah. I think, I think people are going to be very happy. It was like, it was a long, tedious, uh, you know, to get there. I mean, with once McCarthy, I think it was three weeks, we were without a speaker of the house. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of shenanigans that went along behind the scenes. Uh, Steve Scalise was pulling a lot of buttons behind the scene to stop Jim Jordan, uh, and, and, but we were able to stop Emmer, and and we have everybody came together and supported Mike Johnson, and I, I think that's good. Now I do believe some of the establishment have an ulterior motive. A lot of these appropriators that opposed Jim Jordan is that they want to get that spending bill passed so they can get their little data boy from all these special interests. I was watching, uh, sorry, Bill, I was watching uh, Maria Bartiromo this morning with Mike and he said he was going to impeach. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, he's very, I was very excited with him when when he became speaker. The people win. Yeah, we well, we certainly hope so. To your point a minute ago, people are going to be watching, won't they? And yes. And so I think uh, I hope that uh, Representative Johnson, as Speaker Johnson, is also aware of that and and knowing that people are going to be watching his movements. Did you mentioned how long it took to get a speaker? And you know there were a lot of people in play. Even I think twenty four hours before. Uh, Johnson was elected, and it, it seemed to be rather continually contentious. A lot of people in play. Maybe I think we had seven or eight candidates still on the table. Emmer was just bowing out due to the pressure on him and his uh, background with Soros and, uh, you know, and supporting a popular vote versus uh, the um, uh, Electoral College. 
did, did you did you find it interesting, perhaps, that with you know a single vote, all of a sudden everything kind of coalesced, or is that maybe a signal that there's again maybe some background motives going on here? I, I think a lot of it. People were tired of the process. They knew that we were not, that conservatives would stand strong, that we would not put up with an Emmer or someone like that as Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. I think my gut instinct is that a lot of these that were anti-Jim Jordan that don't particularly care for Donald Trump, they wanted just to get to the spending bill. I think that was driving a lot. And Johnson, everybody likes uh, Johnson, Speaker Johnson. Everybody talks about uh, he had support people like him on both sides of the Republican conference. Now, Democrats are pitching a fit, but I think he was someone that he would work with everybody and he did not consider another member an enemy of his. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of these just came to the realization, look, this is as good as we're going to get on the establishment side. Let's mm -hmm. go with it. We trust him. We work with yeah. him. Let's go with it. I saw it again this morning. One of the things that struck me that happened just hours after uh, the actual vote was he goes out, takes a, you know, there was a prayer session from what I understand first, I believe, and then goes out, talks to the press for a few minutes and says, you know, we're going to dispense with the normal celebratory stuff that happens. You know, they act like it's a new, you know, presidential inauguration typically. And he said, we're going to dispense with all that. We're going to go back in and try to get work done. So thanks. And we'll see you in a while. And I, it just struck me as, gosh, you know, isn't that what they're supposed to be doing all the time? It's not about the the chance to party and get with their lobbyists and stuff. It's about getting work done, and especially now. So I was encouraged I, by that. I, I think it was good. I think it's really good. And, and one thing is telling is he is from the same state as Steve Scalise. And when Steve Scalise's name, uh, he was the Republican nominee for speaker. Uh, the conference selected him, mm -hmm. Scalise. Well, Speaker Johnson endorsed Jim Jordan instead of Scalise. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this guy, he may be quiet. He's not a fire breather, but I mean, I think he's principled. And I think he, people are going to be surprised how well he does. Well, that's good. We'll have eyes on to see what see how it goes. So you know, also in the news this week, and I just got asked about this in another venue a couple of days ago, what do we make of the uh, defendants in the Fannie Willis case that <laughs> are, are deciding to take a plea and, uh, you know, and get themselves out of, uh, you know, out of jeopardy? It, it seems, gosh, for me, especially the letter of apology is just demeaning. It's, you know, after years of, of, of standing by the, the stance that, hey, we know this thing was manipulated and stolen. We need to stand up for that. And yet here they are basically agreeing to make a public statement that they're 
Sorry for that stance. What do you, what do you make of all that? Well, I know a lot of these folks and a lot of what you're hearing. Oh, this one's flip. This one's flip. Oh, that's full of crap. It, it's just Fannie Willis. Her whole cases are falling apart. And these people, I remember every time they somebody signs a plea deal, oh, this person's flipped. Well, that's not true. Bernie Carrick, Bernard Carrick was livid a few weeks ago when they pulled the same stunt on him. Uh, and then we heard about Sidney Powell. Well, let's look and see what these people are actually uh, pleading to. RICO, the RICO statute, not one pleaded guilty to RICO, and that's going to cause Fannie problems. She wants some conviction and the, the media is just going all out, putting this false information. Oh, this person's flipped. This person's flipped. It's ridiculous. They haven't flipped. I had one of the, the folks uh, who was just in the news reach out to me. We're friends. And he's, you know, they were quite livid that this was being reported. They're doing what's best for them. Let's be honest, Fulton County, if you're a Republican and a Trump supporter, you will not get a fair trial. Their judicial system is a cesspool of corruption. What they did is they pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor and they agreed to tell the truth. There was no crime committed. So they're going to be truthful in their testimony. And I think it, it just shows the depravity of Fannie Willis and her whole let's go after Trump politically motivated witch hunt. And, you know, like with Sidney Powell, the, all these plea deals, like, for example, it, it was cheaper of them just to go through, get it behind us, doing this plea deal, but here's here is something that's interesting you don't hear folks talking about is uh, during a lot of these plea deals it's open that for example if a judge rules that uh, on appeals that Willis did not have proper jurisdiction to go in and begin the investigation if they rule what I think is going to happen it, on appeals if it is ruled that hey, this is federal jurisdiction, this is not state jurisdiction. Or if they say no law was broken, then all these folks that reach these plea deals will be able to appeal it and get it off their record. For now, instead of spending thousands and thousands and thousands on attorneys, they've got it behind them. And I'm surprised she's doing this with so many. It shows how weak her case really is. That's interesting. You mentioned jurisdiction. And I remember yeah. you were one of one of the folks that early on brought up the fact that um, they're they're claiming things happened during, you know, during a call and during meetings and so forth. But those happened on capital grounds. Right. And capital grounds are uh, the jurisdiction is the capital, Georgia Capitol Police, not a county. And so there is still this question of, you know, just because she assumed command, if you will, or assumed jurisdiction, does that give it to her? And I think that's an open question. Yeah. So to your point. <laughs> It does not give it to her. She could have had, there's two agencies that could have 
get what well, actually three assigned her jurisdiction. And just because the capital exists in Fulton, does that mean she has jurisdiction? Uh, you have embassies from other countries that are located in Fulton. She doesn't have jurisdiction to go in. There's federal courthouse that's located in Fulton. She doesn't have that jurisdiction. Georgia law is very clear. Uh, investigations, law enforcement, anything like that, not only they have jurisdiction inside the Capitol, they have jurisdiction in state-owned buildings in a five-mile radius of the Capitol. So that's quite clear that they do that. If there's something serious, uh, they will send it to GBI to investigate or get the attorney general. She did not have that jurisdiction. I filed open records request with the Department of Georgia Department of Public Safety, which oversees Capitol Police, and ask, hey, you know, this is your jurisdiction. Did you ask Fannie Willis to come in and investigate? They said no. The Attorney General, Chris Carr, which we all know he's worthless, but he said, uh, I heard from his office on the open records request. Uh, Fannie Willis was not giving investigatory authority to investigate anything that happened in Georgia Capitol. There's an agency, it's called the Prosecuting Attorneys Council of Georgia. Mm -hmm. And when there's a conflict of interest, they can assign a special prosecutor. They did not assign jurisdiction to her. Coffee County, she decided she was going in to and investigate what happened in Coffee County, which in the election board, it was not against the law what happened. But the, the funny thing is, she was not given that authority to go in and investigate by the prosecuting attorney's counsel. And I did an open records request uh, for Coffee County District Attorney. They did not recuse themselves from investigating, nor did they ask Fannie Willis to come in. Hmm. And so there is a good, good, a good chance that a lot of these cases are either going to be remanded to federal court uh, say or say that she did not have jurisdiction or they would be thrown out because no illegal activity occurred and i i think she's on a politically motivated witch hunt and she Look at what's going on in the Fulton jail. It's a death trap. And you have people, 500 felony cases are on backlog that she's not trying because she's focused on this politically motivated witch hunt. Yeah. You, you've been an advocate for those poor prisoners. We say poor prisoners, but if they're there by nothing of their own doing, they should have been either, uh, you know, uh, bailed out or had their cases proceed so they could be out by now. I, I recall hearing that a couple of them, several have been in for a couple of years, you know, over a year, just waiting for the next process. So it's, um, it, it is scary. It is. And some of them have actually died. That's right. While, 10, while I think waiting. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a dangerous tragic. place. Yeah. Tragic. It is. Fulton's a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. So lots and lots going on in Georgia. Um, I know you keep a thumb on what's going on nationally too. There's a, 
there seems to be an intrusion of uh, kind of bad news for Biden in the in the media and and even the mainstream media to some extent, which a lot of people are talking about. There's some speculation that they may be in some ways kind of readying a move to uh, put forth uh, a different candidate at some point. What's your what you're thinking there? I've been saying for over four months that, uh, and sometimes I have friends on the left that, that, you know, that I've worked on things on that we both agree on, like destroying T-Sploss, stopping T-Sploss and all that, a lot of issues like that. Mm-hmm. And I was told by different folks that Democrats would find a way to get rid of Joe Biden. I mean, and I think right. they're doing that. Huh. You're starting to see that their little allies in the media, they're starting to run stories about what's going on. They clearly want Gavin Newsom. That mm-hmm. That's who they want. And I think something's going to happen and you'll have uh, Joe Biden. Well, said, I'm, I'm not going to run. I'm going to serve until the next president is sworn in. I, I don't see how he continues. If he does, you better watch out for his life. I mean, you, you've got to look at, uh, I, I don't think the Democrats, uh, I think they're going to pull out all the stops to dump Biden on the ticket. Yeah. Well, you, as you said, you were talking about this four months ago, and it yep. seems to be gaining in visibility. Now, did it, were other people thinking it and they were quiet about it in the traditional media, perhaps. When is the Democrat convention? Do we know the exact date? I, I do not know when it is. I think it's July of August or mm-hmm. August of next year is usually mm-hmm. when they hold them, yeah. July or August of next year. Well, it is a little interesting. This, this report came out from Gallup this week, and it shows just in the case of a single month, the Democrat rating – of approval on Biden dropped by 11 percent. Uh, now well, it's it, it's still you know the 37 percent they they claim or they cite here is overall. So that includes both Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. However, a move of 11 percent in a single month by the Democrat uh, contingents against Biden is pretty notable. I think that's a big number in a month for me. It is, and, and keep in mind the Democrats can't afford to keep Biden as the face of the ticket until the Democrat convention next year. I think any movement that will take place will take place long before the Democrat convention. I don't think they will wait uh, to dump Biden then. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, they could say, hey, you know, this is really bad. You, You need to step down. You can't win. And I think they'll have those talks with Biden or whoever his handler is. <laughs> I mean, Biden's not make clearly not making the decisions. Whoever his handler is, well, uh, you know, they'll find a way to get to force him to step down. Yeah. In a conversation the other day, um, I was speculating with uh, with a colleague about if if they were going to do something different than pull Biden out and pull somebody else in, what would that look like? What would the steps be? So one would be what we see here, show Biden dropping in popularity. Um, an, another would be to raise questions about his physical viability. Is he strong enough? Is he healthy enough to serve? And of course, there's been 
continued, uh, you know, things about his attention span. And they interviewed him on the plane coming back from the Mideast the other day, and he just seemed to be dreamy about the whole thing. Um, I think they'll get him on mental. I, I think their first thing we'll do is behind the scenes say, we've got all this on Hunter and your play, you know, play for pay system. And, you know, you need to step down. I think that they will try first to force him to step down and convince him to announce that he is not going to run for re-election. And I think that's probably what they're going to try to do uh, is pull out all the stops. If they wait to the convention, you can have broker convention and it could take place then. But you've got to look. Do you think Democrats want Joe Biden to be the uh, de facto nominee until the Democrat convention takes place next year? It won't be enough time for campaigning or anything. I, I look mm-hmm. for something to happen long before the, the convention cycle. You think it'll be before the end of the year? Don't think it'll be before it could be. You know, it's kind of hard to read. I would say mm-hmm. it's probably going to happen by February. By okay. end of February, you'll see something being done. Okay. Um, Debbie, uh, tell folks, I know folks are fascinated by um, your perspectives on this stuff and others. Tell, tell folks how they can find out more about uh, about what you're working on and, and get on your um, distribution Email list for things. Well, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Crimson Titer. I'm an Alabama fan. At Crimson Titer, T-I-D-E-R. Uh, and you can email me, Debbie, D-B-B-I-E, at Main Street Patriots with the S dot U-S. Main Street Patriots dot U-S. You guys are great. Thank you. And uh, you watch what happens. It's going to be a fun couple of months. I, I think it's going to be a fun next year as, uh, oh, yeah. as we go through it together. So thank you again for making time for us. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Wow. Uh, she's always full of information. Um, and it's amazing. And she's a lot of the stuff she's been talking about now, as she said, for months. Yeah. And I feel like I haven't been paying attention as well. So yeah, yeah. it's good to have her with us. So talking about Biden and the plan as to what's going to happen, I think it's fairly obvious. I was watching a bunch of research this morning on the uh, the Israel situation, and that seems to be very planned the more I look into it. Um, we have a, a person who's going to talk about that. But before we get there, Matthew Perry died yesterday, and there is evidence coming out now, like T-shirts he was promoting, like, could I be any more vaccinated? So I guess he had multiple boosters and allegedly died of a heart condition while in the uh, in the hot tub. So that begs the question, what should you do and how should you protect your family if, unfortunately, members of your family are vaccinated or had a lot of the shots? So the wellness company, twc.health forward slash CDM, you can go there and they have their COVID detox formula. And you can actually try and start purifying your blood and getting the spike proteins that the vaccine makes you 
makes you create with inside your body, get those proteins out of your body. And so there's natokinase and a bunch of other ingredients inside this spike uh, detox formula that you can get on the wellness company, twc.health forward slash CDM. You can also get the emergency medical kit where you can get a lots of medication that you may need in an emergency for your family. This kit you see there will cover one adult. So you may need more than one. But uh, really, you got to be prepared because you cannot trust the medical establishment. I think we've all come to that realization. And if you use promo code CDM, you get a 10% discount on all these products. So it's twc.health forward slash CDM. So, Bill, uh, I sat down with Niv Kaplan, who I have known for some time. He's a former special operator in the Israeli Defense Forces. And uh, we talked to him about what's going on real time in Israel. Do you have anything before we... No, clip. let's 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 hear what he has to say. Okay, go ahead and hit it for me. Welcome back to War Stories. We're live with Niv Kaplan from Israel. We've had him on multiple times before. He is a former IDF special operator and a defense contractor, and uh, is in Tel Aviv. Correct, Niv? Yes, or, I okay. am. Okay. I so don't. tell us tell us what's happening there on the ground. Well, um, it's the second day of the Israeli. Uh, military entering the Gaza Strip. Uh, we're not being informed uh, too much over the uh, media what is exactly is happening. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact is, I'm as I'm sure you know, uh, they're still there uh, at the north end of the north end of the um, uh, Gaza Strip, Beit Hanun, it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, they got personnel carriers, tanks. We lost your uh, video, but keep going. Oh, so, you missed yeah. the video? Yeah, for some reason it cut off. I don't know why. Sorry. There you go. So they went in with uh, APCs and tanks, and this created a big dilemma here in Israel for the families of the hostages, mm -hmm. which have been, <clears throat> uh, since last night, have been under great stress as to what is happening uh, to their um, to the hostages uh, over in Gaza. Mm -hmm. They're not sure uh, whether the attacks, uh, I mean, nobody knows where they are, so nobody knows how the hostages were affected. Right. And now, sorry? No, go ahead, yeah. Now the families are uh, demanding uh, to meet with... Uh, the Prime Minister today, in fact, I'm going to be there in about three hours to support them. Mm -hmm. They're saying that um, they demand the Prime Minister uh, to go meet them. Uh, the Minister of Defense, Gallant, said he will meet them tomorrow. That's not good enough. They're demanding to meet him today. And to understand what is the plan, how, what are the threats facing, uh, I mean, I don't know if, if there's any answers, but they want to no. know what type of threats will the hostages be facing and what are the Israeli plans uh, as far as negotiation goes. So they, they asked a lot of the, at least in the media, you know, we, we're getting what the media wants us to know also. So it's, yes. you know, we're trying to dig down below that. What, yes. what, what is, uh, they, they asked the Gazans that wanted to, you know, avoid some of the violence to move south. 
Do you know if, if that's realistic for the people in the Strip or not? You mean they ask the Gazan uh, civilians to move south? Right. Oh, uh, many of them have moved south. Mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, the Hamas is stopping them mm. uh, from moving south. I don't know if you've heard the recordings of people from inside the Strip telling that uh, Hamas won't let him through. Yes, we have heard and whoever that, yeah. does, uh, they, they're shooting him or yeah. whoever. So they want to keep them in the north as, as yeah. human shields, essentially. Exactly. And like yeah. the Israeli um, spokesman said, the IDF spokesman said they're using Shifa Hospital as a human shield. They have mm -hmm. uh, something like 4,000 uh, people there, hospital workers, 1,500 beds. And underneath is the central Hamas headquarters so mm -hmm. the hospital in, in central gaza is being used as the headquarters and uh, all the wounded and the staff is being used as human shields there so what have you heard anything about the tunnels there were reports that uh they tried to develop some tunnel rat like the vietnam era um you know situation idea of forces to go in the tunnels but now i'm hearing they're just going to flood them have you heard anything about that no okay. uh not familiar with this uh with this avenue i mean this yeah I'm, I'm just not i we haven't heard anything about that okay i doubt though that they'll just want to flood them because i'm sure the hostages are there somewhere so yeah yeah I don't, doesn't seem to me like a good idea. Is, is Israel winning or losing the information war in your opinion? Cause that's what it is now, right? It's a war in the media. Absolutely losing big mm -hmm. time. Uh, <clears throat> we're seeing in the U S in the universities, we're seeing it in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, everywhere that, um, the Israeli pro I mean, the Hamas propaganda and the, support they're getting uh in various places around the world is very is let's say at least from what i can see is uh winning the the prop winning the war yeah uh, the propaganda war <clears throat> uh israel is trying to uh send the word out there even the spokesman you know spoke in english and explained where the Hamas is keeping its headquarters underneath the hospital. And mm -hmm. um, the issue with the uh, hospital that was supposedly bombed and was actually a jihad uh, failure. Right. But, you know, the, the feeling is here. I mean, at least in my opinion, is that um, it's the Arab money that's been uh, funding a lot of these like universities in uh, in the U.S., U.K. Yeah, it was uh, obviously pre-planned, right? I mean, they had this ready to go, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, everything was pre-planned, and uh, mm. and that's the danger because I mean, they knew what we were going to do after this. I mean, I don't think they they, they thought they were going to be such, you know, uh, so successful in their terms, mm -hmm. uh, and never realized that they could stay inside and 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 actually conquer the kibbutz and uh, mm -hmm. take so many prisoners uh, hostages yeah yeah but 
everything, I mean, everything beyond that, once they're back in Gaza, and it was, was all planned. Now, this is the big problem going in there because everything is probably mined and booby-trapped. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got the special uh, areas where they keep the hostages. So, and it's underneath places that, and going in there will be extremely, extremely dangerous. Yeah. What, what's the feeling amongst the Israeli people about uh, the operation? I mean, it, initially there was strong support, but it seems to have dropped off some. Do you, do you feel that? Yeah, because the hostages, the families of the hostages and this is something that, I mean, I knew it from the from the start. I mean, once mm-hmm. there are hostages, even one, mm-hmm. uh, and this in this case, it's, uh, it's just an Hundreds. incredible amount. Yeah. And there's so many people that are affected by this here in Israel. The families have become the main focus, and and uh, and uh, the kids there, whoever they're holding over there, from a baby nine nine months old. To a woman that is 85, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, and then you got the uh, foreign passport problems. Who has a foreign passport? Who doesn't? Who's a soldier? Who's not? Who's a civilian? Who's a woman? So they can play with it, and um, this is this is created. I mean, this has been the topic of conversation ever since like the second or third day mm-hmm. after people, you know, realized what was going on. Right, and I think it's just getting to be uh, more on, I mean, the issue, the number one issue, I believe, in Israel. And uh, there has to be some type of solution. Many people believe that we should give back everyone, all the terrorists that we're holding here in Israeli prisons, give them back for, for, the, for the hostages. Interesting. I, I personally think this is the solution. If there's anybody to talk to on the other side, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, why do we even need him here? We just give him back if we get all of our hostages back. Um, but I'm not the one making the decisions. What are you hearing about U.S. forces involved? Are you hearing anything about that? There was a story that uh, some Marines were uh, helping, um, teaching Israeli civilians how to put. Uh, how to treat wounded wounds mm-hmm. somewhere in Israel, in in, in a city, mm-hmm. somewhere. So, and there's talk of some high-ranking generals who who were here uh, looking at the Israeli plans. But I'm not I'm not that familiar with. I mean, I don't have any inside information, any insight, right, on what you know what the Americans. But you know, the one thing is that. Just the fact that Biden has, is supporting us and sent, sent the troops over here uh, gives us a lot of confidence. Okay. Are, are Israelis uh, prepared for a long siege and, and you know, missile fire? I mean, and, uh, they have the bomb shelters ready. And are people prepared mentally? That's a good question. Um, question is, you know, how long? I mean, uh, this country, I mean, we got to go back to work, school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, life, family life. Um, mm-hmm. How long can we can we hold out? You know, worried about uh, rockets being thrown. I've been to the shelter several times here, and uh, yeah. rockets falling all around. People getting wounded by rockets in Tel Aviv. Um, 
you know, I mean, this has got to end sometime. And uh, and I'm not sure. Nobody knows how long it's going to take. They're all saying it's going to take. It's going to be a long time. Months, maybe even. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't think we're prepared for this. Uh, I don't think anybody is prepared for this because in the middle of life, suddenly you're taken out of your, uh, you know, normal way of living and uh, thrown into such hell. So. I don't yeah. think anybody has any uh, idea how long this is going to take and if we can uh, take it. Do, do Israelis want to take back Gaza and reoccupy it? I mean, what do you think the long-term strategy is or what do people want to do? <laughs> um, I don't think Israelis want to take back Gaza. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we can deal with the 2 million people that are there. Uh, yeah. with uh, You know, with... Uh, Poor, you know, uh, you know, it's just not a place. I, we've got our problems. It's not a place that we could. I don't think we could. Anyone could. I mean, it'll take a lot of money to to get that place uh, in order, especially now. Mm -hmm. uh, so it doesn't look to me that the majority of Israel would ever want to go back in there. However, they want to go back to the kibbutzim and to the settlements around the border there. Mm -hmm. And they want to make sure that they don't have these uh, red alerts all the time and uh, living in a, in a safe room uh, and worried about, um, you know, terrorists, uh, you know, uh, going through the fence. So that seems to be a, a little a mental gymnastics there, because to do that, you got to take down Hamas. But then they don't, you know. There's not maybe not support to do that. So how do you? I mean, that's that's got to be resolved, right? Well, a lot of people here are saying the UN should 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 intervene, mm -hmm. and the countries that form the UN or somebody, mm -hmm. somebody neutral that will, I mean, maybe an Arab country that will take the will take the, you know, the 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 Gazan somewhere and give them shelter and yeah uh, and rebuild the area uh, but one thing is for sure uh, israel cannot live with with the, the terrorist organization across the fence there right and so whatever happens uh, until it's clean uh, clean of terror uh, i don't think anybody would, would go back in there last question what's uh the feeling on the ground about bb i mean what's his future <laughs> I knew you'd like that question. <laughs> if it was up to me, I think he should resign today, now, this mm -hmm. minute. I don't understand how a man who was brought us to this disaster can, I don't know if, you know, he can fix anything. Nobody believes him. Nobody believes the word he says. Uh, there's no trust in the government uh, by the people, by most of the people, at least from what I'm hearing. And I think there's enough people here that can uh, fix the situation uh, if we're just given a chance. But for some reason, our parliament is uh, keeping them up there. There's not a an, a possibility of of uh, changing the the government in a, in a way other than uh, elections, and that's not going to happen. So we're stuck. Uh, mm -hmm. But I don't know this thing with the hostages, uh, the families, and everybody that is uh, connected. I think it will cause a lot of uh, 
in the in the next few days it's going to cause a lot of noise here and uh i think he's going to be asked to resign by many many people uh not that he, he not that he cares yeah but uh we'll we'll try i mean if it was up to me i, I think he should resign and we should put a new government people who are who are able to fix this situation uh, and have the trust of the people anything else Niv, that you want people to know no i i just want to thank you for uh, talking to me and uh, getting this man's perspective um three weeks in i don't know what's you know i mean nobody here knows uh, we're it's like one day i mean Days, day by day yeah. day by day we, we're not mm -hmm. even we, we're not i mean you feel as if time has, has stopped moving and we're still back in that saturday that horrible saturday and just right. uh very strange very strange way of living understand niv thank you we'll have you back on soon i appreciate your time i know thanks you're, uh, okay take, take, care. take care bye wow great interview yeah niv is uh really good i've known him He's uh, for a long time. Um, it sounds like good, solid observations about what's going on, the way people feel about it, the way he feels yeah. about it. Yeah, definitely. So I uh, spent a lot of time. The, the force behind this uh, Hamas operation, or at least one of the forces, is the Iranian regime. I spent a lot of time with the one thing, the Mullah's fear, which is the Iranian resistance. And I wrote a book called Paying the Price, which is their motto. Uh, over 130,000 of these people have been executed trying to bring democracy and human rights to Iran, to Persia. And uh, their motto, because a lot of them are young, a lot of them are women, young women who are being murdered in mass, uh, but they believe they have to pay the price to bring freedom to their country. So this is a story uh, straight from the horse's mouth, for lack of a better word. I spent a lot of time in their camp in Albania and in their headquarters in Paris. And uh, so you'll hear direct from people who have been through a lot of this hell. And the, but the, the encouraging thing is the resistance that they still have and the passion and the determination to bring freedom to their country. So paying the price, it's available anywhere. Check it out. With that, Bill, uh, I wanted to uh, just run a quick ad from Glade Smith, who is our beef guy out in Nebraska. And one of the things he tries to do with his product is make people feel good. So, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about this new food wrap or food covering that they're going to start spraying, uh, you know, uh, see uh, Children's Health Defense put this out. They're going to start spraying food to make it fresh for a longer period of time. But there's bad elements in this coating that they're starting to put on things. There's vaccines. What you really need to do, uh, especially as a mom or a dad with children, is to make sure you're giving your family something that you can trust. And so uh, beef is one of those uh, family farm beef family farm beef say that 10 times fast. <laughs> and uh, it is uh, it's Glade's company and he'll ship beef direct to your door on a subscription or one time basis. So, Bill, just run that quick ad for me, please. It's going to be a good day. Monday, we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out, familyfarmbeefbox.com.
Thanks. Have a good day. Boy, if somebody were to ask me how to describe that ad, I would say 0% hype, 100% authenticity. Yep, that's exactly what Glade is. You know, my son was wondering how to cook a steak since he's got his own place now. And uh, I said, call Glade. So he called up Glade. Glade told him what to buy to impress a date and uh, how to cook it and everything. So uh, he's a good guy. So trust him and uh, support FamilyFarmBeefBox.com. What else we got, Bill? Well, I thought we'd go back to something we covered a few minutes ago. Let me pop up a slide here again. So here's what we were talking about uh, with Debbie a few minutes ago. What what the heck might be going on with um, with Biden? And we had hoped to uh, have Laura Loomer with us today. Um, she has some other um, conflicts that, uh, that are keeping her from being able to join us. However, I will use a couple things that, uh, that she's brought out that I think um, are worth uh, discussing in this context. So here's all the reasons that are all the things that we might observe if in fact the powers that be, whoever they may be and how far behind the curtain they may be, would be thinking about pulling Biden and putting somebody in his place. So we covered the first few when uh, Debbie was with us. What The last one is raise awareness of other candidates. And so lo and behold, if, if folks have been paying attention, um, They've announced that uh, at the end of November, Newsom, Newsom, pardon me, and DeSantis will be here uh, and in a debate here in Georgia hosted by uh, Hannity. So first question, who the heck thought of putting Newsom and DeSantis in a debate? I mean, uh, we've seen DeSantis in <laughs> a lot of situations. I mean, the Eggman has not done so well the back half of this summer. Um, he's made himself look um, somewhat foolish in a number of situations. I saw somebody put out a quote, doesn't anybody care about Ron DeSantis? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, that took me off my thought pattern. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, so, so here's the situation. One, why are they debating? And why do they feel that DeSantis is an appropriate guy to debate Newsom? Two, why are they debating in Georgia? Once again, you know, and we've talked about this, gosh, I don't know, a couple dozen times here mm -hmm. and on other venues about what is it about Georgia that continues to be so, so much of a focus, so much of an epicenter. I literally heard somebody else use that term the other day. Epicenter for whatever the heck all this is. But here we are. They're going to have Newsom and, and DeSantis debate on November 30th. And wouldn't that be an interesting positioning if that were to raise Newsom's awareness on the national stage? What else are they doing? Well, Laura Loomer a couple of days ago pointed out that uh, Newsom had traveled to China to uh, meet with Jing, Xi and uh, had been to Israel the week before. So uh, I thought we'd just take a quick peek of, of the positioning while he was there. So, you know, are, is he there for a reason? Did that look like, you know, somebody that might be a presidential candidate going up and shaking his hand? Has anybody else gone there? 
<laughs> Surfer, well, meat, he, mass murderer. <laughs> he he, he might have been in elevator shoes. I couldn't quite tell, but he was taller than G. So, but it is it was interesting that um, that he's been there, and it was doubly interesting that he was also in Israel. Mm-hmm. Add to that the fact that uh, in one of those other bullets we we focused, what would they do to make Biden look weak? Well, might they send him into a war zone to meet with officials and have them cancel meetings and not not be available or not have their their first line uh, folks available for his meeting yeah. uh, and then maybe put him on a plane and make him look like he was you know dazed and bewildered on the on the flight back making you know un, unknown comments so yeah. you add it all up and I think you know I think Debbie and, and Laura are on to something. And I give Laura a lot of a lot of credit. I mean, we we both met her up in uh, Washington, and you know nobody's going to call uh, Ms. Loomer a shy person, and so she calls things the way uh, I believe she sees them. One of the other things that we've talked about, and we covered the um, missile hit on the supposedly on the hospital mm-hmm. that was reported a couple of weeks ago, and how the evidence that we were able to find seemed a bit different. Uh, for example, there, you know, if you kill 500 people, you're probably going to leave a pretty big mess someplace. Mm-hmm. And here's the parking lot where this thing appeared to have hit. Didn't, didn't appear to be that much damage. Didn't appear to be even room for 500 people. Yeah. It didn't appear to, to have done anything structurally, at least to the hospital hospital still standing there. So add that all up. And, and Laura is now also calling out, you know, Whatever happened in the midst of what's going on in uh, Israel with Hamas and and so forth, whatever happened, all the reporting on Ukraine. And she brought up a video. And this actually goes back. It's a few months old, I'm quite certain. I think it was within this year, but I'm I'm not positive. But I remember seeing it uh, in the past. And I thought we'd take a look at it. Now, this may be a little, this may seem like something somebody put together, but it appears to be an actual news report. And she called it out and said, whatever happened to the reporting we were seeing on Ukraine for a while. So we already know we're getting maybe chancy information or sketchy information out of what's happening in Israel. What were we getting out of Ukraine? Oh, we're going to use the at least, at least 59 people killed, at least 149 people wounded. Those numbers. And let me pause this for just a second as we get into this. There's a news reporter standing in front of apparently a triage center where they're stacking up bodies and body bags. And this happens while he's on his report. are going to go up. There's just no question about that. I mean, you have fierce fighting in a number of locations around the country. You mentioned Chernobyl. Russian forces quickly overtaking that area. We understand they are still in control. The other thing that went, hap- went down today um, that was of huge importance was Russian paratroopers went into an airfield 15 miles outside of Kiev. And for a short period of time this afternoon, Okay, I think we get the point. But one of the people, you know, wrapped up in a body bag appears to be either uncomfortable or needs to ask a question and takes the body bag off and somebody runs up to do whatever they need to do. That doesn't look like somebody's dead. There's two points here. One is um, this is something that uh, the Palestinians do very often. And there's a lot of these videos on the web where you have a truck full of bodies and sheets and the sheets start moving and all this kind of stuff. So what we're seeing is propaganda by the matrix putting out what they want you to believe. But that doesn't negate the fact that a lot of people have died in both places. So it's it's really just the, it's the, it's the propaganda machine that we want to highlight here. That's that's right. That's right. We don't want to, we don't want to minimize the, the loss. Um, But I think it's, it's reasonable to encourage people to look carefully at 
Very what they're so. being reported and see if that's valid. Or lack of or, reporting, as you said. I mean, or lack of brain has gone away. Yeah. yeah. Why? Where did it go? It, it was it was front and center for, you know, uh, many many months. So that that's one topic. So let what's me, happening? Let me just with, interject there. We have a, a really good recent articles on our Eastern European site, Sarism, T-S-A-R-I-Z-M.com, on the fact that the there was treason at the highest levels of the Ukrainian government to allow Russian forces to take large amounts of territory on the initial night of the invasion and that they didn't remove the population and they knew about it. So go to tsarism.com. You can see those articles uh, from from sources inside Kiev. Okay. Thank you. Very good. Another topic I want to just delve into, it goes back to what we've been talking about for the last, oh gosh, a couple of months now. Uh, It has to do with... Colton Moore's request to the governor for a special session to investigate Fannie Willis's conduct in these cases. We heard earlier from uh, from uh, Debbie that the cases seem to lack real strength. There's a lot of holes. There's d- questions about jurisdiction. There's questions about the charges that she's brought. Um, all kinds of things that may in, may in fact on appeal turn these things over anyway. But it is intimidating to people, and it's intimidating to people that are not directly involved. At the same time, Colton Moore is standing up along with uh, Charlie's Bird and and uh, Freedom Caucus and and others, many grassroots around the state, and asking for this, you know, uh, special session. Well, now comes the word that we have to have a special session, albeit it's going to deal with redistricting, not deal with Fannie Willis. Yeah, many of the House members, Senate members, and others have been saying, "Oh well, don't wait. the The uh, prosecuting attorney uh, qualifications committee can handle this." Well, no, not really, because they can't act until they get rules uh, approved by the Supreme Court. That could take months. Some people are speculating it might be a year from now by the time that gets done. Yeah. Two, they've been saying, "Well, we don't have the votes," and I find that. Um, disingenuous in, in in the extreme. And here's why. This is a, a picture of the last session in the Georgia General Assembly. How many, how many bills were submitted? In the House, 850. And in the Senate, 331. Did all of those pass? No. That didn't keep them from submitting them. Mm-hmm. So if they would submit a bill that they knew going in probably didn't have the sufficient votes, why would that be a a sufficient reason not to go forward with um, doing what they, I hope, believe to be the right thing? And even today, we're still having these cases where um, uh, members of the House and and Senate are still bringing up this, well, we don't have the votes, so we can't do this. And if you'll bear me with, with me for a second, this happened again uh, this past week at the uh, Cherokee uh, uh, breakfast meeting of the GOP in Cherokee County. And uh, bear with me for a second. Let's pull it up the right place. There we go. And... Uh, we want to we want to show that you know folks are still standing up saying, well, wait a minute, you don't have votes. But is that really an argument to not try? I mean, essentially, what Colton 
um, and Charlize and others are asking for is a search or a demand, if you will, for justice. Mm -hmm. Do we just sit back and let these charges sit or do we try to do something? And apparently folks are willing to make the argument, well, I don't want to try because we don't have the votes. And here's an example of one of the House members making this argument in front of the Cherokee GOP. And I'll tell you, it doesn't go well. Okay, here's my question. You told me, you, you stood up here last Wednesday and you said, I will debate anybody. I have challenged you to a debate. I've challenged you to a debate and I challenged her to a debate. You got to sit up here and talk your talking points. I'm, I'm getting to it. Every time I stand up here, it, nobody lets me talk. I challenged you to the debate. I wanted you to do it today. Even made an announcement and said, hey, hey, let's do it. But yet you're up here. You talk your talk. You don't give anybody else a chance to talk, Mr. First Amendment. Okay? Rhino Wrangler. And then uh, uh, I'm over here and I'm trying to point out some things. I am trying to. He's the Rhino Wrangler, not me, apparently. Okay, but, but my point is, is I'm trying to, to give a substantive debate where you guys can see multiple sides. So here's my one question. You ready? Let's talk about special session. All right, let's talk about it. I'm, my, it is a question, but she, I, they get 20 minutes to talk, and I, I'm supposed to ask questions. What? Yeah, go ahead. Excuse me. Listen, listen. We are going to let our we are going to let our questioners ask questions, and we are going to please just be respectful to our speakers. Okay, so here's my question. So we do special session, Mallory. We do special session. We do, we call it okay. The articles get through the House, all right. Then they go to the Senate. So after that, this is chapters six, seven, and eight. They don't tell you guys, all right. Chapter six, seven, and eight says it goes to the Senate. She does not, it does not pass. They do not have the votes. My question is, do you have the votes for this to pass in the Senate? You only need a majority of votes to amend the budget. You to need two thirds. I ask you a specific no, no. question. You a you're, not, you're not going to gaslight. I ask a specific question. Do, can you pass impeachment in the House with 32 votes? Yes or no? Nothing else. Simple question. Yes or no? Uh, well, no. guess what? You cannot impeach until you investigate. Okay. Until articles of impeachment are passed, they go to the, to the Senate. We're not gaslighting. We're not going to gaslight everybody in here. Until you yes or no? Do you have the votes? Do you have the votes? You have the votes. You do you have the votes? We don't have your vote. In the Senate, we don't have your vote. No, you do not. Thank you. No, we don't have your vote. No, you do not. That's right. You do not. Because have it in the Senate. You don't recognize the situation. No, that's my point. Because oh well, I'm trying to. You did. Thank you. And they take the mic away. So, my my observation here is it's. It's difficult to be in the minority and stand up and ask for the right thing to be done. It's easy to stand back and go, gosh, well, that's tough. We don't have the votes. Well, look what but just happened in the U.S. House. I mean, eight people essentially forced a new speaker. Yep. So there you yep. go. So it in almost all cases, and it even, you know, we could, if we had more time, we could talk about the history of the U.S., Mm -hmm. All good things usually start with a minority standing up and saying the status quo won't work. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what it takes. We're going to stand up for justice. So um, I, I, uh, I think that was an indicative response from the grassroots to Mr. Brad Thomas, who's a member of the House, and that they were not buying the we don't have the votes thing. Um, doesn't fly anymore. We know better.
Well, but I mean, the, we don't have the votes because the GOP is running a cartel in Georgia and won't let <laughs> anything run to the top. But anyway, uh, for another show. <laughs> okay. And then uh, I had one other thing to cover that's, that's equally important, but for a different reason. Um, let me bring this up. So this week uh, in Hall County, of all places, um, in the federal court, True the Vote is on trial um, in a civil case with Fair Fight, Stacey Abrams' organization that brought um, brought a case against True the Vote and a number of individual defendants, including Catherine Engelbrecht, for uh, what they claim is voter intimidation and threatening pursuant to challenges that True the Vote and, and these other defendants brought because they found that people had moved and appeared to, based on NCOA data, no longer be at an accurate address as associated with their registrations. Um, they informed, if we recall a few weeks ago, we were reported, they informed Brett, uh, Brad Raffensperger and his team of this uh, at around the same time they were, they were submitting the challenges. And within that meeting, uh, and based on an affidavit that Catherine Engelbrecht submitted, um, that team, Brad Raffensperger's own team, admitted, yeah, this sounds about right. And it was 360,000 registrations appeared to be inaccurate um, and should be changed, should be put on challenge status in the meantime, but should be changed to be either accurate or show those people were no longer in Georgia. Fair Fight is challenging them on that and trying to, I believe, monetarily impact true the vote. Why would they do that? Um, because we're coming into another election cycle and one of the most important organizations in the country that can help, one, educate people, and two, act for um, the cause of valid voter registrations is True the Vote and their ancillary um, uh, parts of the organization. So um, what's happening is these guys go into court, fair fight, uh, there's a couple of people from DOJ that weighed in. There's uh, Perkins Coy has some of their attorneys in, involved. So they have a they have a attorney table over on the plaintiff side that probably is eight or ten people. Um, uh, Catherine has a very uh, strong and good team assembled. But uh, what I believe is going on is Fair Fight is doing everything they can to try to monetarily um, destroy uh, True the Vote. I think this is one of those times when um, folks, if they've paid attention, um, the folks in Georgia that are for election integrity have been involved for two or three years. And yeah, they've spent a lot of time and a lot of effort, and in some cases, a lot of money to fight this. Uh, True the Vote's been involved for 15 years. And here they are being threatened themselves and potentially financially impacted. So my recommendation would be that folks um, consider helping and they can do so by simply going to True the Vote. Um, they can uh, look in the uh, truethevote.org and look in the upper right-hand corner. There's a donate button. I put a, another QR code in so people can e reach it easily. But it doesn't take a lot of dollars from individuals. It takes a lot of individuals with, with some dollars. So uh, I, I and others have contributed and would encourage folks to consider that where they have the means to consider helping in this so that uh, True the Vote will be here with us going through uh, the 2024 cycle and we'll, we'll push back against Fair Fight and Perkins Coy and these other forces that are doing everything they can to impact uh, True the Vote. So 
that's the message there. And I, uh, uh, folks, if they uh, would care to actually go watch the proceedings, my understanding is they'll be back in uh, court tomorrow morning in Hall County. And uh, it's easy to find the federal court building uh, address there if folks care to go observe. So would encourage that and uh, help be there to support True the Vote. Fantastic. Full show. Anything else, Bill? Isn't that enough? That'll get us through today. So we'll see you Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. on our Wednesday night show. Until then, uh, keep sending us all that information. Thank you very much.